I have seen some of the many babies who were saved because of that life-saving intervention. I call him whenever I have a conflicted mom wavering between abortion or choosing life with medical concerns, and he always picks up and always speaks to those women for free. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to our defense. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Well, it's one of the things I say every time, and we are truly grateful. That opening quote, I, I don't actually know who said it. Uh, I think it was a person on the Internet. But that quote was said about the guest that we are having on the podcast today, Dr. Matthew Harrison. And we are going to be talking about the abortion pill reversal process uh, which is, wow, it's just a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal thing that we're going to be talking about. But before we get into that, my name is Peter, host of the show. And with me once again is my wonderful co-host, Cameron Cote. Hello, sir. Hey, Peter. Good to be back. And I'm excited for this interview because with the abortion pill being prescribed more and more in Canada and indeed around the world, I think that it's so important to have this content on here because... There are a ton of mothers and fathers for whom this will be incredibly relevant. I've already spoken with several mothers who have been in these positions and been able to refer them towards the abortion pill reversal um, network, their website and their 24-hour helpline. Um, and these guys are, are regular um, features at pro-life medical conferences in Canada, and I know that they are around the world as well. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Um, Matthew Harrison joining the show. Really fired up for it. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Before we get into that conversation, we just have a few things here. Number one, do become a patron of the Pro-Life Guys podcast on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Pro-Life Guys. Join the movement. Help us out uh, financially partner with us so that we can continue equipping pro-lifers to be knowledgeable about the abortion wars and to know how to have good and effective and winsome conversations about abortion. This abortion topic, uh, it's really, really important to continually remind ourselves it, it deals with real lives and it deals with real deaths. I mean, we are talking about the intentional destruction of preborn children in the womb, uh, 300 a day in Canada, several thousand in the United States. And wherever you might be living, um, hopefully abortion's illegal where you are, but for most of the world, abortions are happening. And so we need to be pro-lifers we need to be christians we need to be people who know how to effectively and winsomely have good conversations that's what we want to do on the podcast and you can help us and you can join us in this mission by being a patron patreon.com forward slash pro-life guys another cool thing you got some cool merch so 
check it out. Um, we also have a few other series you can find on your favorite podcast catcher or YouTube. Humans of the Pro-Life Movement seeks to highlight some of the unsung heroes of the pro-life movement doing what they can on the streets and wherever they might be saving lives and changing minds. And The Pulse, uh, where we talk about interesting and important abortion-related news from a pro-life perspective. We want to tell our own stories. Uh, so check it out, YouTube and your favorite podcast catcher. One other thing before I introduce the guest as well. We just finished, uh, I think this is two weeks, now, uh, two weeks ago now, our series, which is a two-part series on Ireland's pro-life movement. We had a good conversation with Neve and Neve Ivrian and Jonathan Van Maren about how the Irish pro-life movement saved over 250,000 pre-born children. It is a phenomenal story, uh, so go check it out. But one of the things we said was, uh, whoever writes a review uh, is going to go into a draw. We're going to select a name from that draw. Uh, very randomly, and that person will win a signed copy of the of Patriots, the Untold Story of Ireland's Pro-Life Movement by Jonathan Van Maren. And our winner today is none other than Father Selva Rigo from Ottawa, Ontario. Congratulations, sir. This is what he wrote. Uh, we're very grateful for it. The podcast helped me to wake up and do something. This podcast is helping me to learn how to face the injustice of abortion week by week. I'm assimilating new skills, anecdotes, and facts for conversations that I'm sharing with family and friends. It is also very encouraging to see the larger picture, that there is a community of committed people doing good and smart work to defend the most vulnerable. Thank you, sir, and uh, and we'll reach out to you, and, and you can reach out to us as well uh, to get your address so we can ship that out to you as soon as possible. And now, without further ado... Our guest, Dr. Matthew Harrison. Dr. Harrison is the Associate Medical Director of Abortion Pill Rescue and was one of the pioneers of the abortion pill reversal method uh, or the emergency abortion pill reversal kit. And this reversal really is fundamental to saving the lives of preborn children. And you are going to hear more about that uh, in just a minute. He serves as a medical advisor to Priests for Life and is the medical director of the Student Health Clinic at Belmont Abbey College, as well as an instructor at Campbell School of Osteopathic Medicine. He and his wife, Kathleen, have seven children and reside in North Carolina. All right, everyone, Cam mentioned a little bit earlier the importance of this conversation. The abortion pill is huge, especially during uh, the pandemic with restrictions that we're facing and uh, making it harder to go out and do things. The abortion pill is, is a type of abortion procedure that you can do in your own home. And a lot of people are doing it. Wherever you might be uh, living, this is a, an option that abortion supporters and the abortion industry is pushing. And so listen to this episode, take notes. You might need this information. You might need to share this information with the people you talk to about abortion. It's extremely important to know, and it's extremely important for those around you to know, those who support abortion, those who are thinking about abortion, that this option of reversing the abortion pill is available. That's enough from me. Uh, here is our conversation with Dr. Matthew Harrison. Dr. Harrison, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this format. I've done so many little short interviews, but Doing a podcast is really exciting for me because it gives me time to kind of go into depth if you guys want to. 
Yeah, we do. And that that's one of the joys about the podcast world in a sense is we're not limited by, you know, airspace or anything like that. We can just dive in and, and really get deep into the conversation. Um, we want to talk with you about the abortion pill reversal process. But before we do that, uh, we would love to get to know a, you a little bit. So could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are, uh, your experience in the medical field and so on? Sure. Um, so I am a family practice physician. Uh, went to undergraduate William and Mary in Virginia, did grad school there with a master's in biology. Then I did research um, at Johns Hopkins in uh, childhood leukemia, coming up with shortened protocols uh, for treatment. And then I did uh, research at Duke um, in Alzheimer's disease, molecular genetics, uh, looking for markers on chromosome 19. And then uh, after, in grad school, I did uh, research on what's called heat shock proteins, which are bacterial proteins. And then uh, before medical school, I did research at the Medical College of Virginia on cannabinoid receptors in the brain, uh, trying to identify those. So I did a lot of receptor biology. And uh, then I went to medical school at the uh, Medical College of Virginia, uh, got my degree there in 1998, did my residency in Mobile, Alabama, at the University of South Alabama, uh, board certified in family practice, have done a lot of emergency room work, and I joined a practice north of Charlotte, North Carolina, on the East Coast um, in 2001, where I did inpatient, outpatient, and obstetrics, which as a family practice doctor, you're uh, certified to be able to do all three of those. And, um, and that's where uh, I was doing my obstetrics when, uh, when all this came about. So we actually closed our practice in 2011. Um, and since that time, I've been a full-time hospitalist, which means I am in the hospital all day long. I work 12-hour shifts where I'm taking care of patients in the hospital setting. If they come into the emergency room, and need to be admitted. If they're sick enough to be admitted, then I take care of them once they're in the hospital until they're discharged. And so that's everywhere, everything from cr critical care work uh, to just regular floor, you know, anything, heart attacks, strokes, pneumonia, uh, whatever. But then I also have a prenatal clinic uh, where I do uh, free care for uh, women um, that essentially don't have insurance. Uh, many of them are abortion vulnerable. In other words, they've come to us directly from the abortion clinics. Uh, I have a mobile RV unit that has an ultrasound on it that parks outside of the abortion clinic. And we offer free ultrasounds and then free medical care for, for women um, that come to us. And then we see them through their pregnancy, do lab work, do their ultrasounds, do everything for them actually help them with job placement, housing, because a lot of them have obstacles that drove them to abortion in the first place. Um, and so we help them with a lot of counseling, legal assistance, that type of thing. And, um, and, uh, and so that's kind of where I'm doing my OB now. Then I also do some stuff with the student health center at a college. Uh, I have a nurse practitioner that works there. She does all the health care there, and I have some mission work that I do as well. So a little bit of everything. Wowzers. Um, 
So I'm guessing you don't get a whole lot of sleep and then <laughs> with all those things on the go. I'll bet you're not sleeping a whole ton, but that's so cool. I, I mean, there's a million questions I'd love to ask you outside of this program. I, I did a, a background in um, molecular genetics as well and um, was working on retinal progenitor cells in, in mice for a little bit before I got um, in some ways dragged into the pro-life movement, kicking and screaming. But um, with, with that then, I'm, I'm curious, did you... So obviously you've got an incredible resume when it comes to your medical background. When it comes to the the role that you've in in many ways taken on within the pro-life sphere of, of this abortion pill reversal process and how you guys are featured at conferences and and I know that you do consultation and whatnot with different pro-life groups and Father Frank Father Frank Pavone has talked about the um, the guidance that that you and and your group has offered. Did you have kind of an epiphany moment coming into the pro-life movement, or is this something that you were really raised with? Share a little bit about your journey towards um, the the pro-life movement and your involvement in the pro-life movement, I guess. Sure. So, um, you know, I was uh, raised in Lynchburg, Virginia. Lynchburg, Virginia is most famous for Liberty University, Jerry Falwell. Um, so that's where most people have heard of it. Very... Um, you know, church-going town, very Christian town. Uh, I was raised Presbyterian in a very pro-life church. Um, so, uh, you know, I, and my family was very pro-life. My, my mom had five kids, which in the 70s was a little bit much for a lot of people. You know, she got the stairs and that kind of thing. And uh, but a big, uh, a big turning point for me was, uh, you know, right around Roe versus Wade, in 1973, my mom was pregnant with her sixth child. And um, so she uh, was, um, you know, planning on having the sixth child. And at the same time, we're having all this national debate about abortion and, and a woman's right to choose and all this type of thing. Remember, this is before really the, the modern age of ultrasound was not being used widespread. People didn't understand what a baby looked like in utero. There's the clump of cells argument and all that type of thing. And um, my mom, we were all very, very excited about this six, six sibling, you know, this next child coming into our, our home. And uh, my mom went to the hospital and unfortunately the baby died. Um, and uh, Phyllis was her name, um, uh, died by uh, the umbilical cord, you know, wrapping around her neck, unfortunately. So it, crushed our family. Um, and we had a funeral, a little, a little um, memory uh, memorial at the hospital chapel. And I, re I, mean, I was eight years old and I distinctly remember how strange it was to me that we are seeing. So this is in November of 1973, uh, right after um, Roe versus Wade had been decided in January. And it's strange to me, even at that time, I was aware that some of these nurses and doctors that were crying at our funeral might have been participating in abortions in the very same hospital. And even at the age of eight, it was apparent to me that this doesn't make sense. And, um, you know, how could our baby be loved and wanted and be considered a person to mourn over where other babies are just thrown away? So that was a big turning point for me. And we had, um, Several people in our church who were going to the March for Life after that uh, were very involved in the pro-life movement. Uh, Miss Marilyn Fanning was a very big uh, 
in, influenced me. And so that kind of went up through high school. I got involved, uh, interested in medicine, went to college. Um, William and Mary is a very liberal school. Um, and uh, so there's a, a lot of, you know, discussion about that and women's uh, freedom to choose abortion. It didn't hit me much again until I was back in medical school. Um, you know, I um, uh, had gotten, I was still staying in, in the medical community because I was doing research. And I met my wife, who is the biggest, I have to say, the biggest influence on me uh, in my pro-life ministry. She's my biggest support, and I can't do any of this stuff without her backing me up uh, and doing everything that she does behind the scenes. But, um, you know, she she is Catholic, and um, she brought to me a, a very real realization, one, about birth control, and then also the connection to abortion. And so we got married two weeks before medical school. And then while I was in medical school, um, I started understanding about how abortion works, the different methods, and then also how uh, birth control works and the abortifacient properties of much of many of the birth control, birth control um, medications. And so I pretty much became convinced by the end of uh, medical school that um, those two were connected, could not be separated, and that I would not want to participate in that. Now, while I was in medical school in our third year, we had our clinicals, and we had uh, the clinical part where we're learning how to do a female exam. Now, to me, that's a very, you know, uh, this is the first time anything like that had, you know, come across, you know, my training. Well, what they did was they took 180 students in our class. They went to the Planned Parenthood um, clinic in Richmond, Virginia, and they hired four women to be examined by 180 medical students. Now, they consented to this. They were paid for it. But to me, that seemed barbaric. And it did not seem, even though it's training, I understand that, it was barbaric to turn loose, you know, 180 students that had never done an exam on four women. And so myself and about three other people refused to go. Um, and that's probably the first time that I took this kind of big stand about, I'm not going to go to parent parenthood. I'm not going to be a part of that culture. And I don't think this is dignified for women. Uh, even if they consent to this, um, there's got to be a better way. And there is a better way. I mean, you, you know, medicine should really be an apprenticeship, not a sit, listen to lectures, and then go do. Um, it really should be an apprenticeship like any other skill is learned. Um, and so that's how, that's how it was historically done, and that's how it's best done now, too. So after medical school, I, I did go to my residency, and within the first week of of my residency, I was in clinic and a 16 year old girl came in and wanted birth control pills. And I was like, oh boy, here we are right at the very beginning of my training. And, uh, and so I, I looked at her and she, I could tell she emotionally, she was not ready for this. You know, she's not in a good relationship. We talked about a relationship. And so I stepped out of the room. I had to really think about it. And I, I went back in, I said, listen, I cannot in good conscience, give you a prescription for birth control because it's going to put you in a bad position in a bad relationship. I have to, I have to, as a physician, take care of the whole person, 
physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And I don't think that this behavior is good for you spiritually or emotionally or even physically. So I'm not going to support that. And then I had to go to my attending physician, the supervisor of the program, and say, listen, I don't feel comfortable prescribing birth control. And many uh, doctors have been kicked out of programs for that um, because they essentially become very difficult to train because there's too many exceptions for them. But fortunately, my very, very liberal um, uh, chairman uh, supported me and said, you know what, you have the right to not do something uh, that you feel morally opposed to. So he, su he supported me through that. I ended up becoming um, the chief resident of our program and was able to uh, put on other uh, talks to our other residents and medical students about birth control, about abortion and that type of thing. And um, uh, actually, my wife and I uh, learned the symptothermal method and some natural means of birth control uh, for women so that we could offer that uh, to women who needed to space or delay uh, um, pregnancy. So that was, a, that was kind of my background into becoming a physician and becoming a pro-life doctor. Once I got into the field, uh, my big moment was probably meeting Flip Benham. Um, mm. Do you guys know Flip? I, I know the name and I, I listened to when you were on my colleague Jonathan Van Maren's podcast, sharing about your, your introduction with him and, and how that was really a, an eye-opener for you. But I, I'd love to, to hear a little bit about that interaction on, on your end, because I know that probably some of our listeners are not familiar with him. And so love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Flip Benham is a street preacher and was uh, the director of Operation Rescue back in the day where they were laying down in front of abortion clinics, getting arrested, uh, that type of thing. Um, and he was actually arrested in Lynchburg, spent some time in jail there. Uh, I did not know him at that time, but um, I had some mutual friends who knew Flip and, knew, and lived across the street from us uh, when we were in Concord, North Carolina, and I was in practice. And they said, you need, really need to, need, need to meet Flip. And so uh, Flip came to our house. We had dinner. Great guy, very charismatic, very personable and, and funny. So we're talking. So he said, listen, here's the challenge. He, he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, if the devil came to you and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing abortions. I'm going to stop promoting abortion and we're going to get rid of abortion altogether. But there's this one baby that has Down syndrome, uh, that has uh, uh, a lot of physical challenges, development delayed. If you just give me that one baby, I will uh, do away with abortion forever. And he said, Dr. Matt, what would you do? And he had, I'd never been posed that question before. And that was a really, really challenging question. And I can see how it's tempting for people to say, uh, sure, you know, um, uh, we will sacrifice one to save millions. But I told him, you know what? I can't do that. I cannot even give up one because that is not the right thing to do. Um, and I guess maybe he was testing to see, testing the waters to see where I was um, <laughs> on, on the pro-life side. Um, and, and that's, that's where we are. We, we are not willing to give up one baby, whether 
they people think that it's destined for uh, poverty or destined for suffering from some physical or mental or emotional damage. Um, each child is created in the image of God, and we are to try to protect that and try to cherish that and respect that and give that the dignity that is inherent, not given by people, not given by the government or anyone else, but it is inherent to that person given by God. Amen. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that's the goal, right? The goal is is zero abortions uh, with with all the work we do. Now, one of the, the ways that people get abortions, uh, perhaps the most convenient way, uh, is through the abortion pill. And one of the things we wanted to talk with you about today is the abortion pill reversal that you were part of um, creating and, uh, and pushing. So could you share uh, just a little bit about your interest in the abortion pill? When did you start thinking about ways to research this pill? And uh, yeah, just, just how you started that journey into that particular side of things. Sure. So in 2006, I was in my office going through a normal day and uh, I have relationships with several of the crisis pregnancy centers around us um, because we have been, you know, seeing women to do their prenatal care. Um, and women would call us and, and uh, the pregnancy centers would call us if they had some type of medical issue or problem. And so they called me up one day as before lunch and they said, listen, we have this 19 year old who came in here. She took the abortion pill, but she regrets it. She wants to save her baby. Is there anything we can do? And I was like, uh, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> send her over and, you know, let's just see what we can do. So she sent her over uh, and this uh, young lady uh, was in the office. She came with her mother. So about 36 hours prior to this, she had taken the abortion pill. She was in a relationship with a young man that uh, she felt she loved, and he had um, said that he would support her if they got pregnant. Um, but as soon as she did get pregnant, he's like, here's 260 bucks, go get an abortion. And she had gone down to the abortion clinic uh, alone. Um, they watched, they didn't let her listen to the heartbeat. Um, she was just over seven weeks pregnant. And uh, she took the abortion pill, and as soon as she got out in the parking lot, she regretted it. She's like, what can I do? I, she couldn't make herself throw up. She couldn't get rid of it. She's like, what do I do? So she went home. And for the next 24 hours, she just was just crying and upset. And, you know, her boyfriend had said, listen, you know, if you have this baby, your parents will kick you out. You're going to have to drop out of school. You're not going to be able to get a job. Everything's going to be ruined for us. And so that was his kind of threat. Uh, and fear tactic on getting her to have an abortion. So thankfully she went to her mom who her mother is a great Christian lady. Her, her parents both supported her wholeheartedly and uh, said, listen, we will do whatever we can to help you and to help our grandchild. And so they took her to the abortion, to the um, crisis pregnancy center who called me and brought her over. And so they're like, what can you do? And I was like, I have no idea. They don't teach us this in medical school. <laughs> um, and But, you know, I, I'd done ER, ER work. And I think that with a pro-life mentality and with a problem-solving type of mentality, I think God just said, you know, listen, you can't just give up or you can't just throw in the towel. Um, 
you know, what can you do? So I literally told her, I need to, I need to just go pray about this. And I stepped out of the room and went into my little office across the hall. And uh, I looked up the physician's desk reference. I looked up RU46, Mifepristone is the uh, brand name of it. And to look and see how it works and understand that better. So the way it works is it's a progesterone receptor blocker. So it fills the progesterone receptor at the placenta and makes it so that the receptor does not do its job. So it's like a key that fits into a lock, but does not turn the lock, does not activate the lock. And while it is fitting into the lock, it blocks other good keys from getting in there so that they can cause the progesterone receptor to do its job, which is to support the baby with a healthy placenta so that the baby can get nutrition, oxygen, and survive. So the RU46 as a progesterone blocker is pretty strong. It's actually uh, two to four times as strong of a recept of, of a attacher, a strong an attachment than normal progesterone is. Well, my partner uh, in the practice, Danny Holland, was a certified NAPRO technology fertility doctor. He had gone to Pope Paul VI Institute in Nebraska, had gotten training under Dr. Thomas Hilgers for doing fertility care using uh, progesterone and other methods of, of fertility treatment. And so we had had great success in our office with morally acceptable um, means of fertility care. You know, we had had, we had had couples that had gone to fertility specialists, had done spent tens of thousands of dollars on frozen embryos and in vitro fertilization, all that kind of stuff, and could never get success. And just with proper progesterone replacement, they were able to achieve pregnancy and carry their babies to term. So we had progesterone in the office and started, started thinking, you know, listen, I had done all this progesterone, or I had done all this uh, protein receptor biology and research. You know, I was frustrated I didn't get into medical school right out of college. And then I was frustrated the other two times that I had applied. It wasn't, it wasn't until the fourth time I applied to medical school that I got in. I was like, God, what in the world are you doing? Why am I taking forever to get into medical school? And looking back on it, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I needed some more training before you went into medical school to, for something like this. So I had this, you know, I had published now in paper, in, in scientific journals on protein receptor biology. Um, and so I figured, you know, if we have a bad key that won't turn the lock to activate the placenta, why don't we just throw in a bunch of good keys? We'll flood the system with good keys because I know that RU46 is always in a state of flux. There are very few receptors that stick on and never come off. They will go on and off in a very dynamic way in real life. And so I knew that there's times that RE46 is on the receptor and other times that it's off. It's like if we throw in a bunch of extra good keys, then we have a better chance of flooding the system with good progesterone that's going to outcompete the RE46, going to activate the receptor. Now, RE46 has a half-life of about 18 to 25 hours. So essentially in a day, half of the chemical is out of your body. You've processed it. In another half a day, I mean, in another 24 hours, another half of it's out. 
So in about 72 hours, RU46 is pretty much out of your system and not going to have any more effect. So the important aspect was to try to get progesterone into the patient as soon as possible. So when she came into the office, we did an ultrasound and we could see a heartbeat. And we decided, I decided, you know, if it's okay with you, why don't we give you extra progesterone? Now, progesterone is FDA approved for fertility treatments and has been used in women for probably close to 50 years uh, in fertility treatments and in other uh, forms of medical therapy. And so, you know, there are some risks, mainly the, the main risk is, is site side effects. You know, your arm gets sore or wherever you take it, or you know, we give it in the um, buttocks, in the muscle in the buttocks, uh, and that site gets sore. Um, but there are uh, essentially theoretical risks of clots and other problems. So I explained all this to the patient and she said, absolutely, I want to take this. I want to do whatever I can to save my baby. So we did it. We gave her a 200 milligram injection of progesterone. And this was on a Thursday, I believe. So the next day uh, she started bleeding and we're like, oh no, well, we figured it's probably not going to work. So I said, go to the emergency room. We know the emergency room doctors at the hospital she's going to. Have them check you out. So she went to the emergency room, and thankfully, they let her see the, the ultrasound, and she got to see her baby's heartbeat. And she told me later, if that was all she got to do, it would have been worth it, that she got to see her baby's heartbeat and that she had known that she had done everything she could to try to save her baby. And we see that a lot in these women who attempt to reverse and then maybe have a failure that at least they feel like they have done something to try to save their baby and to try to help, you know, and, and that's worth a lot mentally and emotionally to women. So she went, um, saw the heartbeat and the doctor there thankfully said, you know, go home and hope for the best. Um, you know, he could have, he could have just said, Oh, it's a done deal and called a gynecologist to come in and do a DNC. And thankfully he didn't. Um, so she went home and came back to our office Monday and baby still had a heartbeat. And um, we kept doing progesterone replacement twice a week uh, up through 28 weeks of pregnancy. And uh, her little girl was born uh, in March of 2007, uh, perfectly healthy, healthy placenta. And now she's uh, 14. Um, and healthy little Praise girl. God. She's the... Uh, the first uh, abortion pill reversal baby and uh, is still doing great. Uh, didn't have any learning difficulties or developmental delays or anything. So um, that's kind of how all this started. Um, and then from there, um, we got into, yeah, I, I got in, I was, I was a medical advisor for Priest for Life at the time. And so I started to talk to uh, Father Pavone about it. And so we had a few little internet interviews and a little bit of publications about it. And he was like, you know, Matt, you need to come up with a protocol. This needs to be widespread. Of course, I'm a family practice doctor, not an ob obstetrician. And, you know, there's a lot of fear there uh, of, you know, is anybody going to believe me? Did this really, was this just a coincidence or is this something that is really scientifically sound uh, and safe? And so those were all important 
questions to answer. And of course, it's not like every day someone walks into your clinic and says, hey, I want to reverse, reverse an abortion, you know? So this is something that's going to take a lot of time. So um, Dr. Uh, George Delgado, um, two years after this, independently, without even knowing about mine, did the exact same thing. He reversed an abortion uh, with someone who is in El Paso. He's in San Diego. And so he and Mary Davenport, who's an OBGYN um, and a pro-life doctor, great, great person. They said, listen, why don't we start pulling together data on this? So they published uh, an article in 2012, in December issue of um, Annals of Pharmacotherapy about, is this a possibility? And they had six case studies, four of those women one of which was mine, um, had brought a baby to term and delivered, and two uh, had lost their babies. So he contacted me, uh, got permission to publish that, and that's where he and I connected. Uh, and he's the one who really started to balloon this network and start pulling in data and other physicians so that it could spread to where it is today. Gotcha. That, that is incredible. And, and I'm sure that just the emotions that would have gone through your mind, uh, through through that woman Ashley's mind when she realized that not only did that child have a heartbeat, but this this pregnancy was actually going to come to term and this child was going to be born. And, and I'm only, I can only imagine what was going through your mind, uh, just the, the hope and a prayer, maybe this will reverse things. And then it worked. I, I, I can only imagine how incredible that that was. And Something that we hear on the street all the time is, if you don't want an abortion, don't have one. And and you would anticipate that with something so exciting and something that, you know, this woman decided that she didn't want to have an abortion, everyone would celebrate this fact that if, if somebody didn't want to have this abortion, then there's this procedure out there that could reverse this impact. But that's probably not the response that you got from pro-choice proponents and whatnot that, that I've, I mean, a, a quick um, Google scan of abortion pill reversal yet articles from Vox and from Washington Post and, and the National Post here in Canada about how this is bad science or this, this wasn't done well and that people shouldn't be trying to go down this road. It, um, if, once you take the first pill, it's guaranteed that your abortion is going to happen. What has it been like kind of responding to some of those challenges that the abortion industry is throwing back at you that, um, I mean, in, in some ways, I would say that, I mean, four out of six, I, I'd love to hear about how that's developed in, in more recent years. But if it's one out of six, if it's one out of a thousand children that can be saved, like you said earlier, that we, we got to fight for every life. But I'd, I'd love to hear kind of how that journey has gone once this kind of became more public and, and that there was a viable option for reversing the abortion pill that is now being relied upon more and more heavily by abortion providers around the world, I think. And and what's that journey been like since that kind of initial report come out? Have you had a lot of pro-life people wanting to get in touch? Have you had some pushback from abortion advocates and, and agencies like NARAL? What has that been like for you? Yeah, so it was very surprising to me within the first couple of years when I started to get calls from people and doctors in Australia and, and other places. They're saying, you know, how did you do this and what protocol did you use and, you know, how are the things going? You know, it wasn't, it was probably 
four or five years before I, I personally actually had another patient who uh, I directed their reversal for. And the only reason that happened was just because I happened to be involved in a lot of pro-life ministries. And, and so I have those connections with abortion vulnerable women. So yeah, I got a lot of pushback. And of course, I get a lot of pushback at the abortion clinic too, because I still will go and just pray at the abortion clinics, um, will offer help to women. Uh, I'm not yelling and screaming <laughs> and being, you know, a crazy person uh, at the abortion clinic. I'm there to, you know, help and to offer a hand. But I still get people who want to argue with me, people who are not scientists or doctors or medical at all, who want to argue with me about whether or not this works. And uh, so, yeah, I got a lot of pushback. And what's been interesting is the number of people and, and the number of times I've heard of abortionists or other people who say that, you know, well, no, this actually does make logical, biological sense. And we've even had some professors and doctors say, well, if if my daughter was poisoned with an abortion pill to get rid of an unwanted baby, if she wanted to keep her baby, I'd give him progesterone. So, you know, we've heard some of that. Uh, and I've actually had some abortionists, abortionists I've heard that have actually done abortion reversals uh, using progesterone. So it's been, I've been a little bit more shocked at the support from some of the, but that, but that's been very sparse and the vast majority of people that are in the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists, you know, have come out saying that this is all junk science and that this is, you know, stuff that doesn't work. You know, Dr. Richard Kreinen had put out an article or uh, had put out a paper uh, just about a year ago. It's very interesting. He he had decided he was going to prove that abortion pill reversal didn't work. So they came up with a study uh, that was going to include 40 women. There's only 12 women who ended up enrolling in it. And these women all had received the abortion pill. And so six of them were uh, given a placebo and six of them were given progesterone pills, according to our protocol. Two, one, woman from, one woman from each group just dropped out and said they, just, they didn't want to continue it. So we have five and five now. So of the women that were left in the study, one of the woman, women from the reversal group had bleeding at home and she called an ambulance and was taken to the hospital. Her abortion completed at, home, at the emergency room. She didn't require transfusion or surgery or anything. And she was essentially a woman who had the abortion at home, was scared about the bleeding, called an ambulance and they took her to the hospital. I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but in America, if you call an ambulance and they come to your house, you're pretty much going to get a ride to the emergency room, unless it's obvious that there's nothing wrong. So she went, and she didn't require any further care. The other two women that had serious bleeding were both in the placebo arm of the study. They had received RE46, but had not received Cytotec, okay, had not received the medicine that causes labor. Both of those women had serious bleeding. They went to the emergency room. One, one woman needed a transfusion. 
and they needed essentially a DNC or a surgery. Okay. Um, so the two women that had serious bleeding that really needed medical attention did not get the reversal. The one woman who did get the reversal that bled just had essentially a normal abortion. The other interesting, which they don't really tell <laughs> about these details no. when they put in the press, oh, study on abortion pill reversal is halted due to safety yeah. concerns. <laughs> it makes it yeah. sound like the concern was with the reversal, but it wasn't. The other interesting thing is that four of the five women who had received progesterone had living babies at two weeks. Oh. So essentially, God. 80% of the, of the, of the reversals worked, which is yeah. actually better than our numbers. Our, our numbers <laughs> went up to 68%. So this guy yeah. who sets out to prove us wrong, if anything, proved us <laughs> right. Now, yeah. unfortunately, part of his deal with these women was if your baby survives, I'll surgically abort them, which he did. Yeah. So the four babies that survived the abortion pill by using our process were then aborted surgically. So uh, so th this is kind of how the abortion industry works is you know, they went to prove us wrong. They ended up proving us right. Uh, and then they used the media to try to to smear abortion pill reversal and of course they also don't mention that dr richard krinan is a paid medical consultant for the only company <laughs> that makes ru46 so there's a little bit of a uh prejudice uh, a little prejudice a little um conflict of interest there so anyway yeah so we've gotten a lot of pushback uh from that but um it's it's but we knew this was going to, it was going to be this way. And we also knew it was going to take a lot of time. Now, what's interesting is that people who know me personally know that for one, I'm a skeptic. You, you've got to prove something to me. I'm, I don't jump on the bandwagon with everything. Um, and, and people that know me in my work, I mean, it's, it's funny because I've been a, a physician now for 20 years. I've been doing inpatient hospital work for 10 years at one main hospital I work at about five different hospitals, um, but I, you know, I do critical care work. I put in central lines. I intubate patients. I code patients. You know, I, I do all the stuff that you see on the hospital TV shows of people. You know, I don't do big surgeries. I don't do heart surgery. I don't do brain surgery. Thank goodness. But and so it's always interesting to me when someone has known me through that avenue and that's all they've known about me. And then all of a sudden they realize what's this about abortion pill reversal that you do. I mean, <laughs> I've been working with a nurse practitioner now. Uh, there's a particular one that I've been working with for a couple of years. And she's like, Dr. Harrison, someone up on the floor just told me that you travel all over the country talking about abortion pill reversal. I was like, uh, yeah, I do. That's what I do on my son in on the side. <laughs> So, uh, it, it, and it's funny because I think they know me from another aspect. And then when they find out about this, I think it maybe adds some credibility to the abortion pill reversal process because they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, he's a good doctor other places. So this must be something real. <laughs> Bingo. Credibility. That's fantastic. Yeah, that, that's absolutely great. And, and I want to thank you so much for sharing these stories. They're absolutely fascinating. And as you were talking about, um, the 
you know, the the success in uh, in your opponents um, getting this right. I was thinking about how shameful it was that, you know, the the reversing of this RU46 procedure was successful, and yet the goal of the whole process was to end the lives of those children anyway. And so uh, they ensured that that outcome, uh, I mean, they ensured that they arrived at that outcome by aborting those children anyway. Absolutely awful and horrific. Um, but so one of the things uh, about this podcast, Dr. Harrison, is we which way we try to equip people to have really good conversations about abortion on the streets uh, or at work or at school or wherever they have conversations. And one of the ways is really, really understanding how this abortion pill reversal works. And you have you have been extremely, extremely insightful about that. I just have some clarifying things. I know you touched on, on them already, but really just to highlight them for for the people who are listening who might be in conversations at some point or another where they talk about the abortion pill and those options, and they'll be able to bring some some really solid facts about the abortion pill reversal to that conversation as well. So could you highlight for us, uh, at what point is too late to take the abortion pill reversal uh, procedure? And, and when is it ideal? If someone takes RU46, decides to change their mind, um, when is ideal and when would you say is too late to reverse this process? Okay, so like I said, uh, it's mentioned earlier, the abortion pill is essentially out of your system within 72 hours. So giving progesterone after 72 hours is probably not beneficial at all because it's already out of your system. Now, there are studies that we've actually did a review of study. I did a review of studies and published it in Issues of Law and Medicine with uh, Dr. Davenport on what is the exact uh, amount of or number of embryos that survive if you just take the abortion pill and don't take the second medicine, the mesoprostol or cytotec. Those numbers come out to anywhere from 7 to 23% if you do nothing. If you take RE46, don't take the second pill, and don't take progesterone. So anywhere from 7 to 23%. Our studies show that if you take progesterone replacement, you're going to, on average, our numbers were 48%. But if you t- and that includes a lot of women who didn't take it properly. So uh, if you take it properly by the book, 64 to 68% success rate. So quite a big jump from 7 to 23%. So it's definitely effective. Yeah. Um, it seems like the, now, initially, RE46 was um, uh, said that you could, uh, the, it was FDA approved in the year 2000 to um, take up through the first seven weeks of pregnancy. Okay. I'm sorry, eight weeks of pregnancy. And, um, and so that's what, but they found that they started using it off label and they were using it up to 10 weeks or 70 days pregnancy. That's one of the funny things that they always argue with me about is, uh, you know, you can't use progesterone that's off label. Um, you can't use progesterone to, uh, reverse an abortion. There's no FDA approved. And I said, well, you know, the, the abortion industry did that with RU46 itself for about 16 years before it was FDA approved up to 70 days. And so uh, we've, we've found that the earlier that an embryo is exposed to RU46, the deadlier it is. Um, and so babies that are closer to the 10-week age range 
tend to have a better chance of survival. So we try to get progesterone into moms as soon as possible. And we always try to verify a heartbeat. One thing that we want to make sure of is that the baby is in the uterus. Okay. So we don't, we, we want to first make sure that a baby is not an ectopic pregnancy in a fallopian tube or outside of the uterus, because if they are, then they need to be referred to a, a high risk a specialist. Okay. Um, and we know that abortion clinics are just typically famous for very, very sloppy medicine. So I've had, I've had um, women who have gone in uh, and they were given RE46 and then uh, they didn't pass, they didn't have, they were, they went back, was told, were told that they, that the baby was successfully evacuated. Then they come to my clinic two weeks later, still pregnant. And, and then I've delivered those babies before. Some of those women I've also heard have gone through that process and then gone back on surgical abortions. So, um, but to answer your question directly, we want to get the medicine into the mom as soon as possible. After 72 hours, it's probably not going to do any good, but we will give it up to 72 hours after ingestion of the pill. Right. That's, that's great to know. Do you know, uh, totally really curious, do you know how many times it's been successful? Do you know how many kids are alive today because this uh, reversal process was enacted? Yeah, so uh, I just contacted Heartbeat International. Heartbeat International in 2016 took over our call center because it was getting too big and too busy. And Heartbeat International, one reason we wanted to work with them was because they have over 2,500 pregnancy care centers that they're associated with around the world and they're in a bunch of countries and so i asked them today what are what are the fresh numbers and so um they they let me know that we have had over two thousand babies that have been saved by abortion pill reversal that we have uh served women in 46 countries and all 50 of the united states um we have in 2019 they gave me some numbers for Canada. In 2019 in Canada, there were only eight people that had called to ask for reversals. In 2020, there were 44. Um, so there's been more of an increase in Canada. I actually came to Ontario and gave a talk from with uh, Alliance for Life Ontario um, with Jackie Jeffs and the folks over there uh, in 2017. Um, and uh, was and found out that there were four providers in the Ontario area that were willing and ready to uh, do reversals. So every month we have about 150 women that are on the protocol reversing abortions. And um, and like we said before, there's about a 68% success rate uh, uh, on uh, on reversals. So we've really been blessed with a, a lot of great uh, teamwork in getting support for these moms. So two questions from my end that, um, that I'm, I'm sure kind of dovetail off of each other. If, if there was a, a pro-life physician or, or any physician for that matter, who listened to this podcast and say, Hey, I, I want to have these kits in my, in my office, in my hospital, wherever, as you said, in, in Canada, it's still a fairly small number of physicians that have, um, this connected with them, how would a physician, how would a hospital, how would a clinic um, become a center that, that could have these abortion 
um, pill recovery kits available? Is that something they contact um, Heartbeat International? How, how would a, a group get that? And then from there, how would a mother who has taken the first pill get in contact with one of these facilities, I suppose? Sure. Great question. So uh, the easiest way is to go to abortionpillreversal.com and there's information there. There is a non-urgent phone number uh, for physicians and people that are wanting to get interest, get involved there. That number is 614-885-7577. And they can also uh, go to an email address is info at apr.life and contact there. Beautiful. Wonderful. That, we're going to put these all in the show notes as well. So Great. Um, for those of you who are listening, that's what that will, that's where that will be. Kim, you had something else. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. And, and so that, that's how people get in contact. Um, they can go to your website. They can call those numbers for non-emergencies. So that, that'd be for nurses or, or practitioners or whomever they would be. Um, say, say we're on the street corner, we're talking to somebody and they say, oh my goodness, I just took one of these abortion pills. Now I've come to regret that how, where's the emergency link for them? Where, where do they get info on where they can get this progesterone and, and start um, re, um, reversing this effect as quickly as possible? How do they do that? Sure. So again, we have a mobile, uh, a mobile platform that they can use. Uh, it's also at abortionpillreversal.com, also at apr.com. And uh, the one the toll-free number for that's Man, 24-7 by nurses is 877-558-0333. And that puts them in touch with a nurse who can talk with them about their, pro- their, their current situation, see if they're eligible for reversal. And then the nurse on the other line has a network of providers. They find out where they are geographically located and try to get them uh, to someone that is within just essentially as close as possible. Um, And so they contact that provider, set up a meeting time where they can uh, go and and start the reversal process as soon as possible. Right. That is wonderful. Dr. Matt Harrison, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for not only taking the time to sharing this with us, but for the work that you have been doing um, in in restoring life, I mean, in reversing this deadly process of the RU-486 pill and uh, doing everything you can to allow these children to live, allow their heartbeats to continue on. And and you mentioned the oldest girl, I believe you said 14 years old she is right now. Is that correct? That's correct. And so we have a whole generation now of right. these uh, kids, the, the reversal kids are coming along. You know, <laughs> There's a lot of older folks, uh, Jenna Jensen and and uh, folks that have survived abortions who are speaking out, uh, testifying at Congress, just wait until these reversal babies uh, are all of the age where they're going to start standing up. You know, we're, we're raising a lot of warriors here that were really just at death's door. Um, right. Uh, going to become victim to it. And we, you know, we have over a thousand providers now that are ready at a moment's notice to help these mothers save their babies. That's that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for that and uh, and for all your work. And Dr. Harrison, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you guys for all the work that y'all are doing, uh, spreading the pro-life work. Thank you, sir. That is Dr. Matthew Harrison. And 
like I said at the beginning, that is a phenomenal conversation about some really, really great life-saving work that he's doing. I just want to reiterate one more time the contact information that he gave. For those of you who are listening, it will also be in the show notes uh, wherever you're listening. So uh, do check it out there. But uh, go to www.abortionpillreversal.com, www.abortionpillreversal.com to learn more about the abortion pill reversal and uh, and perhaps to get more of your questions answered if we didn't touch on them here. You can get in contact 614-885-7577 or email info at apr.life. And, and as, Cam, uh, as, as Cam referenced a little bit earlier during the, the conversation with the one question to Dr. Harrison, if you're a pro-life uh, someone practicing medicine or if you have family members who are doing that, this would be really helpful uh, information to, to get to your family member and uh, really good for for more and more medical professionals who support life to, to get involved with this and um, provide more opportunities and, and more clinics, as it were, across your province or nation or, or state or wherever it might be to make this abortion pill reversal procedure as widely available and as well known as possible. Uh, so get the word out there. This is extremely, extremely important. Uh, there, are, there are children alive today because the abortion pill was reversed. And you can be part of that life-saving work as well. Cam, as we wrap this up, do you have uh, a one thing that you would like to say to our listeners? I got three things I want to say to our listeners. Beauty, um, man. Beauty. So I, I will give, obviously, we always have the same challenge at the end. Have conversations with people. Use these skills in your conversations. Do that with your friends, family, coworkers, anybody in your community. Two other things, though, that I want to mention and encourage you to be a part of. We recently launched our online engagement team um, of people who are getting some training from myself and the rest of the CCBR team and are engaging more and more in online conversations. Maybe you're a, a Twitter troll already. Maybe you don't like the terminology troll because you're trying to do good godly work on Twitter and you want something better than troll. Um, if you are actively engaged in online conversations or want to be, please join our team. We're going to be giving you a ton of tips and tools for how to have productive conversations with people online. And not only that, third thing that I want to encourage you to consider, we are coming into our better weather months. Hopefully, um, COVID will continue to scale down. Lockdowns will continue to decrease. We want to bring a team of activists to your community. Obviously, sometimes that's impossible. If you live in Antarctica, it might take us a little while to get down there. But if you live somewhere in Canada, if you live even somewhere close to Canada, and you want to have either Peter or myself come and do a talk for you and your community, or if you want one of our internship teams to come and help you guys out doing some activism, hit us up, let us know, um, email us at email at endthekilling.ca. It'll come on to me and I'll be the, um, the fellow that gets to respond to you. So if you want to talk, if you want a weekend conference, if you want our internship team to come to your community, please reach out to us. Our whole mission is to change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. And that involves giving you more in-depth training and training the people in your pro-life community. So those three things, have conversations, join our online team, and reach out to us to get us into your home community. We would love to visit you. We also do talks elsewhere as well, other than Canada. Um, unfortunately, it's very, very difficult for us to get there at this point because of the restrictions and just getting you back into the country and all of that. So um, yeah, Cam. 
Yeah, on the flip side, though, um, because everyone is doing virtual presentations anyways, um, this is really convenient. I am training a guy in the UK right now every Thursday morning. He is uh, working full time in the movement and is looking to take on more and more leadership. And so I'm kind of mentoring him every Thursday morning. Shout out to you, James. You're awesome. Um, I've also worked with um, folks in the States. I, was lit I literally just got off the call with a guy from Ecuador. Um, and so this might be a golden opportunity. If your conference has to be online anyways, if your school, if your church is doing online content and you say, you know what, we might not be able to cover travel expenses for a guy to fly across the pond and give us a two hour workshop, but Hey, we're doing virtual presentations anyways. A virtual presentation from somebody who lives next door is no different than a virtual presentation from me who lives a long ways away. Um, and so if you want one of us or if you want one of our colleagues who are much better looking um, to give a presentation, please don't hesitate to reach out. Now's the time. Um, I totally wanted to end that infomercial style of like, um, <laughs> if you call in the next 15 minutes, um, no, yeah, but, right. but definitely just reach out to us. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you, Cam. And thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We hope you tune in again next week.